Is there anything quite so beautiful as watching someone use their gifts in the prime of their life? Is there anything so lovely as seeing someone really use their gifts in the prime of their life? I don't know whether you're a football fan or you even care about it, but I hope that at some point you have had the chance to see Peyton Manning command a football team. I hope that your journey of living in Chicago has at least rewarded you in the wintertime with the chance to see Patrick Kane score a goal. Uh, to move between all of the other players and sense in this remarkable way the spatial possibilities of the moment and fire that goal in that tiny gap to the roar of the crowd. I hope that some of you have had the chance to, to see Meryl Streep act. Or, or some of us in the room were there to watch Gene Kelly trip his way across a stage and dance, or perhaps along the curbside and swing his way around a lamppost, just singing in the rain. I hope you have been there to hear at some point when someone like T.D. Jakes, the great African-American preacher from uh, Texas, preached the gospel. I hope you've had a chance to hear Adele sing the blues. Were you there when your mom loved the way she did, or your dad smiled that slow, strong smile, or when that good friend of yours just lit up a room by simply being there in that place, and will there come a day, I wonder, when other people will talk this way about you and about me? I believe that if we're patient and if we keep learning from other people and if we remain open to God and working at our craft, our day may come. We may get to that moment in life when it just comes together in a very special way. You may not make the cover of a magazine. You're, they may not shoot a video of you that goes viral, but you'll get to a point when there's this convergence that happens and you'll be capable of things that are simply spectacular. Some of you are there right now. Some of you are in your prime right now and you don't even see it. You don't understand it's happening. You're at that point in your career or in your family life when you are performing unconsciously well. And others see it. You're probably painfully aware of all the flaws in your performance right now. The great ones always are. They're very well aware of what the gap is between what they're offering and what they'd like to be able to offer. But one day, you're going to look back at these days right now and you're going to say, Wow, I wish I'd paid better attention. I wish I'd enjoyed it more because I was in my prime. I can remember being 23 years old and playing against a six foot ten basketball player who'd once played for the Boston Celtics, and I scored 20 points against him. And I can remember a few years ago going out and pulling a butt muscle just trying to do a layup <laughs> against some younger kids. It is hard to feel like. Your prime has come and gone. 
Maybe you've heard of the elderly couples who were taking a break from their card game. I may have told this story here before. And I, the wives got up from the table and they went into the kitchen and the two guys began to talk. And one of them said to the other, hey, Joe, you're really on tonight. I mean, I normally have to remind you how many cards to count out. I haven't had to remind you once tonight about that. And Joe said, oh, that's because I've been going to memory school. Really, said his friend. Maybe I ought to do that. What's the name of that memory school? And Joe said, hmm, well, it's, uh, uh, what's the name of that, uh, of that flower, you know, the red one that's got the, the sticky, those, those thorns that come off of it? And his friend says, oh, a rose. And he says, yeah, hey, Rose, what's the name of that memory school? It helps to laugh in the face of the slow decline of life. But it can be hard. It really can be hard. You need, you need to have something that helps build up your spirits, medicine like laughter, because it's tough to feel like you've, you've passed your prime. It's why people talk more and more about yesterday as they age, Right? They just want to go back to those prime years and feel them, taste them, savor them again. It's why our voices carry a trace of sadness sometimes when we talk about people we have known and loved who who have long since gone past that time of great vitality. Oh, you should have known him when he was a real player, people will sometimes say. I wish you had seen her when she was in her prime. I wonder if Simeon or Anna ever looked back at their life in that kind of way. I wonder if these two individuals that we meet in Luke chapter 2 had become a bit melancholy as they moved on through the years. By the time we meet them in Luke's gospel, Simeon is a graying saint. When he was a younger man, the text says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, he had been given a very special message that that before his days were done, he would see the ultimate wonder, the coming of the salvation of the world. He had been given the inside track on the coming of the Messiah. And you can only imagine how his heartstrings sang when he heard the news (laughs) that he would be there. He'd have a front row seat at the coming of the one who would change all of history for Israel. I'll be part of the revolution, he may have thought. I'll, I'll get a job in the new administration, he may have wondered. And then the years passed by and the decades flowed by and Simeon's prime was passed and nothing happened. Nothing happened. There was probably a time when Anna had dreams as well. She expected her life to be glorious. But her husband dies just seven years after her marriage. They're just starting out in life. They're just beginning to build a family and a vision for life, and he's gone. And things do not turn out at all like she had planned. 
Text says that Anna was very old now, 84 years to be exact. And you, you get this picture if you read the scripture text of a, of a widow and an old man whose main comfort now is hanging around the church building. Anna, the Bible says, never left the temple. It looked like their best days were behind them. It seems so obvious that their opportunity for influence was now just fodder for memory school. I want to ask the question again. Is there anything so beautiful as watching someone use their gifts when they're in their prime? Only one thing that I know of is more beautiful than that. And that is watching someone use his or her gifts in the spiritual prime of life. In the second prime. The prime that almost always comes after the physical prime is gone. The spiritual prime of life. There is nothing more beautiful as watching someone find that prime. One of the hardest things to get, one of the things that I'm not sure any of us are ever done getting, is how differently God defines the prime of life from the way that our world defines the prime. It, It seems so often that the world's definition of these things differs so radically from God's definition of these things that we forget and lose our our way on it. The world, for example, sees our prime as that season when we are most physically strong and mentally acute. Wouldn't you say? That's what's on the cover of the magazines, the physically strong, the mentally acute. But God sees our prime as that season when we are most spiritually strong and intellectually humble and open and teachable. The world considers us in our prime when we have the greatest fame with other people. When we're on the magazine cover, when when our video has gone viral, when we're the talk of the town. But the Bible views our prime as when we are most pleasing God, even if nobody else sees it. Even if no one else even cares about it. The world defines our prime as when we're in the best position to build our own empire But the Bible defines our prime as when we are most advanced or seek, focused on advancing the kingdom of God, even if that means sacrificing something of our empire. Where on this continuum, I wonder, are you? Where are you leaning? Where are you, in which direction are you praying and striving in this season of your life? Whether Simeon and Anna had ever come into their prime as the world defines it, I don't know for sure. But what we can definitely see is that these two individuals had come into their second prime. They were in their spiritual prime. For one thing, they had become truly faithful people. Um, it, is, it is clear from the scripture's testimony that faithfulness is the mark of, the, of these two individuals' lives. The Bible says that Simeon was righteous and devout. That does not mean he was a perfect man. It means that he had learned over the long haul of life to devote himself to staying as close to God as he knew how. And the text goes on to say 
and give us even more detail about Anna's way of maintaining her own intimacy with God. She apparently had built up this rhythm of worship, fasting, and prayer. She came to the house of God and on a regular basis opened herself up to the wonder of God, sought out his face in worship to glorify his name. She had a pattern of fasting, which is to say she purposely denied certain things in her life. Maybe it was food. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was some other pleasure. She would fast at times from these things in order to feel more intensely in her being her need of God, to make him the object of satisfaction. And she was a woman of prayer. On a regular basis, she talked to him about the concerns and hopes of life. She expressed her thanks. She shared her confession with him. And these things, this rhythm built up her spirit even when her body was breaking down. Her spirit was growing stronger. Secondly, we can see that these two people were also persevering individuals. They were faithful and they were persevering people. You know, it never takes a lot of energy. It's not a matter of tremendous virtue to put your hope in God for a brief season. Right? Uh, when, when things are going well, it's not hard to praise God, to give thanks to God. When things are going bad for a brief season, it's not hard to turn our devotion towards God. Oh, Lord, bail me out. Get me out of the situation. I'm going to trust you today. Please fix this, and preferably as quickly as possible. But Anna and Simeon had kept on trusting the promises of God for decades and decades through tragedies like the early death of Anna's husband, and through the long, boring wait, the apparently fruitless wait between the promise that Simeon had received that he would see the Christ and its eventual fulfillment, decades later, Simeon and Anna had persevered in trusting God's plan against all odds. Their world, like ours, was filled with distractions, Plenty of things clamoring for their attention. But the third quality that marks both Simeon and Anna is that they were spirit-led people. That when we meet them, they are led by the spirit in life. Anna was a prophetess, the text says directly. That's shorthand for somebody who expects to hear from God. Right? Is actively listening and expects that God will speak. And is then determined to take what God says and put it into practice and to share it with other people. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, was upon Simeon. It goes on and says later, he was moved by the Spirit and actually went places and did things that the Spirit was saying for him to go and to do. I think it is almost impossible to overstate how much faithfulness, perseverance, And spirit-led responsiveness matters to God. I think it is, is, I couldn't couldn't give you an illustration that would be big enough to get at this. How much it matters to God whether we are faithful, persevering, and spirit-led, responsive to the spirit. Because in his mind, these are the ultimate things he's looking for in human beings. And one indication 
of how much stock God puts in those things is that at a time when the world probably regarded Simeon and Anna as candidates for the rest home, for the sidelines, for being put out to pasture, for anonymity, God chooses these two to do one of the most important tasks ever performed in human history. With a spiritual power born of years of cultivation, this elderly pair gets to pass on the blessing that in a sense primed the pump of the mission of Jesus that would alter all of history. The Bible says that Anna and Simeon spoke about the child to all who were looking for redemption. In other words, they named the gift that Jesus was. They saw it, they named it, they lifted it up, and they equipped his parents for what lay ahead. They warned Mary in advance of the coming cross that would pierce her soul. They, they, they spoke of the challenges Uh, that they would meet, that the parents would meet as their son's ministry went forward. They primed the pump, in a sense, for that long cascade of blessing that would one day get passed on to you and to me. And this is why I think of Simeon and Anna when I hear someone say that, that beautiful, beautiful young people are acts of nature, but beautiful old people are works of art. Isn't that true? They're works of spiritual art. Beautiful old people, faithful, persevering, responsive people are. Oh, the sound of that music when one of God's players is in their prime. Some of you may recall me telling before a story from the life of Itzhak Perlman, the famed Israeli violinist. But it is such a good story, it bears telling again. On November the 18th, 1995, Perlman came out on stage at New York's famed Lincoln Center. And if you've ever seen Perlman in action, even watched him on television then you know that just getting on the stage is no small matter for him. Perlman was struck with polio at age four. It resulted in a racking disfiguring of his physical frame. Perlman wears braces on both of his legs. He walks always with two crutches. And to see him come across a stage is a sight that you will never forget. He moves painfully, but with dignity until he gets to his chair. He sits down slowly. He lays his crutches to his side. He bends over and he begins to unlatch the braces on his leg. He then tucks one of his feet back and the other foot goes forward. Then he reaches down and he picks up his violin and he notches it under his chin and he nods to the maestro And he begins to play. On this particular occasion, however, something shortly after beginning went catastrophically wrong. 
Just as he is finishing the first stanza, a string on Perlman's violin breaks. And I mean, you can hear it snap going off like a gunshot through the symphony hall. There is no mistaking what that sound means. And what Perlman, who is the lead musician in this entire performance, must obviously now do. People who were there that night later said we figured he would just have to get up. And he would have to put on the clasps of the braces again. And he would pick up the crutches. And he would limp his way off stage. Or he would sit there waiting as people scrambled around behind the the, the curtain looking for another violin to bring out to Perlman. But Perlman does not do these things. Instead, he pauses for a moment. He closes his eyes. And then he signals for the conductor to begin again. And the conductor, wide-eyed, begins again. The orchestra recommences, and Perlman joins them where he had left off. He plays now with a passion and a power that the audience had never heard before. Now, all of us, if you know anything about music, know that it is impossible to play a symphonic work with just three strings. It just cannot be done. But that night, Perlman refuses to know it. And, and, and someone observing said, you could see him modulating and changing and recomposing the piece in his head. At one point, it sounded like he was actually detuning the strings as he was playing in order to get another sound from them, a more beautiful sound than they had ever been required to make before. And when Perlman finished, there was this awestruck silence in the room. And then suddenly, the audience exploded to its feet. We were all screaming and cheering, wrote one observer. We were doing everything we could do to show how much we appreciated what he had just done. And Perlman simply smiled. And he wiped the sweat from his brow. And he raised his his bow to quiet us. And then he said, not boastfully at all, but in a quiet, pensive, reverent tone. He said, you know, you know, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much music you can make with what you still have left. This is the task. This is the ultimate task of life. This is the great spiritual opportunity and triumph. This is the goal set before us all. The most important question is never how old you are. Do not be fooled by the way the world continues to ask that question in every way it can think of. In this youth-obsessed culture, the most important question is, is never how old you are. The most important question is, what, what will you do with what you have left? So what will you do? Will you play the, the string of faithfulness? When life gets hard, 
when it's difficult to follow Jesus, when it's tough to stay with your spouse, when it's a challenge to follow through on that pledge you'd made, the promise that you've given, will you remain faithful? Will you practice those spiritual disciplines of worshiping and fasting and praying with which you nurture a righteous and a devout spirit? Those of us who are watching, people who are listening to you, following your example, need you to model faithfulness, okay? They need you to do it. In a world that's come and go, promise-breaking, disposable, they need to see what faithfulness looks like. Will you be plucking the string of perseverance as you go along? Will you be one of those rare people who, in spite of your pains, in spite of your losses, and they're sure to come our way if we live long enough, will you be one of those people who still wait upon the Lord, who still look For the one who is the consolation, not just of Israel, but of this world, will you show the rest of us what it looks like to perseveringly put your trust in the one who is the hope of us all? And will you you demonstrate a spirit-led responsiveness with whatever time you have left? Will you listen for God's voice in your life? Will you make a priority of that? And when he speaks... Will you share that word with others so that they may benefit from what God is showing you? Are you willing to still be moved by the Spirit and go where God tells you to go and do what God tells you to do? Or might the most important string you strike be the cord of blessing, the spoken words of blessing to somebody else that will be music to their ears? Maybe God's call to you, as it was to Simeon and to Anna, is to provide the priming blessing for a special child's future. Maybe one of the roles that God has given you in this season of your life is to give thanks for the gift that a particular child is, to name the capacities that you see in him or her to suggest the possible mission of that child's life to a set of parents who may not fully see the wonder that this child is. However old you are, whatever you may have left, dare to play it for all that you are worth. And I believe you will find that the cord of faith, hope, and love that God plays through you will still advance his purposes and will stir the heartstrings of every generation. Privileged to be there in the symphony hall with you when you were in your prime. Please pray with me. And now, Lord, have your way with us. Have your way with us. Keep us faithful, persevering, responsive to you. And may our lives play a melody of your grace and truth that moves someone 
that moves this world. Toward you, the great master of the music, the great hope of all, through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.